day and welcome to Season 2, Episode 6 of The Coriolis Effect. A price and a place for everyone. I'm Dave. And I'm Matthew. And we've got a lot to talk about uh, in this episode, as, as usual. As always. Uh, <laughs> starting off with a, a whole bunch of news from the world of gaming. Uh, we're all waiting for something to drop on our doorsteps, but we won't <laughs> reveal what that is until we get to that piece. Um then I've got a, an essay that follows up on our discussion in the last episode, um, and that was about the hegemony. So this essay is about their mortal enemies, the Draconites. Then we thought it would be um, fun for you to listen to us talk about how much fun we had <laughs> at our gaming weekend. But no, there's some uh, interesting discoveries we made about uh, our, some of the favourite games that we all talk about on this podcast and that we particularly enjoyed at the weekend. Then, Dave, you've got a really interesting introduction to a location I that have. is part of the uh, setting for Forbidden Lands. And there's a particular reason why we've got that introduction, but shall we keep that secret until the end of the episode? Uh, no. <laughs> Let's so, not give you a secret. So, yeah, so, then we're going to give you the details of what we're doing at Dragon Meat, uh, uh, which is the Grindbone Slavers Tournament. And an open invite to uh, all of you to come along and participate. And there might be uh, prizes. I don't know yet, really. But if nothing else, yeah, just, just, there'll be honour. Nothing just, else, there'll be honour. Ixnay on the all of you nay. Uh, uh, what? what? <laughs> I mean... We've got about 500 subscribers now, and we've got how many places at the Grand Blood Tournament? Mm, 16, I think. So it's first come, first <laughs> yeah. served, that's for sure. Um, first come, first served, yeah. Uh, but do come and if you're uh, based in the UK or visiting the UK and you happen to be around on the 1st of December, do come and join us at Dragon Meet in the podcast zone where we'll be there and we'll tell you more about what we're doing there later in the programme. We will. But first, what is going on in the world of gaming? Um, Kickstarters. Yeah, so, Kickstarters. Um, let, let me say nothing's going on in the world of gaming and nothing's going on in the world of gaming because our lovely friends at GamesQuest have not yet delivered to our door the Forbidden Lands Kickstarter packages we are both and many of us are waiting for. We are. And uh, one of the things about next weekend is we uh, we very much want to run the advanced combat rules, at least for some of the tournament. But obviously, if we don't get our hands on the cards and the uh, the rules and stuff, that's going to be pretty difficult. So we may not be able to run the advanced rules, but we'll run the, the basic rules anyway, which are really good, which are great, great fun anyway. But unless we get hold of the actual cards, we are a bit stymied, I'm afraid. So come on, Games Quest, let's get those things through our doors. So at the time of recording, I have to say, we've been promised, uh, we're recording on a Thursday, and we've been promised that Games Quest are going to get them all out of their warehouse by the end of tomorrow, Friday. So we should have them, um, maybe as you're listening to this uh, podcast, but they haven't arrived yet. And for us, the key thing is time is tight in the podcast zone. We've only got a couple of hours to run the whole tournament because there's lots of other podcasters doing their things as well. Yep. And uh, you and I really wanted to get some time together practicing the advanced rules. Uh, and we thought when we came up with this idea that we'd have lots of time 
uh, to do that. And yet um, the time is edging away and yeah. we don't have our cards yet. No. Now, there may be listeners out there who say, well, why, you know, you've got a PDF of the cards. Why don't you print them off? Um, no, is the answer to that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's, it's, it all takes time to do this stuff. So uh... <laughs> It takes time. It takes printer ink. And it takes, from me at least, a printer that connects to your new computer, which uh, <laughs> Canada have declined to produce a driver for. So, uh, oh, no, look, that's not happening. No. So, um, listeners, you, what you didn't realise is before we started recording, Matt gave me a 20-minute rant about his new computer and it won't print. So, um, <laughs> that's enough, mate. That's enough. But we get it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but what else is happening at Dragon Meet? I mean, we're quite excited uh, about this year's Dragon Meet because uh, we know that Nils and Matthias are coming over from Sweden to join us. They are. They are. That would be excellent news. Um, hopefully, they're going to bring some goodies that will uh, we can put out as prizes for the tournament. But it'll be great to see them. We will do an interview with them at some point during the day. A couple of beers, hopefully, and have a really good time. Um but yeah, so it'd be great to see them coming over. Yeah. And so uh, just to remind everybody, Nils, of course, from Free Legan. Matthias, also now from Free Legan since the merger. But um, uh, we're talking about Matthias from Team Simba Room, as it were. <laughs> so both of our uh, our favourite game systems are being covered uh, by by attendance from the uh, Free Legan team. Yeah. There's also lots of other podcasters joining us in the podcast zone, like last year, uh, including the Formal Gamer. It's the Formal Gamer's rig that we'll be using to record the Grindbone tournament. Thanks, on. thanks, Dan. Uh, Cheers, mates. <laughs> thank you, Dan. Yes. Um, and uh, so that will be fun. But there's uh, there's podcasts who were there last year. And there are podcasters who are new to the podcast zone. I've been trying to desperately listen to um, episodes of the various podcasters that I don't know and haven't listened to before that are joining us in the podcast zone. And uh, a lot of them are actual plays. Uh, but the one I felt most comfortable with is the Darker Days Radio Hour, which, Dave, you might actually be interested in listening to if you're on a journey somewhere. I haven't listened uh, to it yet. Yeah. I am I am going to spend a lot of time in the car over the next uh, few days because I've got uh, got a university reunion on the other side of the country. So, um, great. Good. Good advice. What, what was that one again? So Darker Days Radio, I think, are the uh, the ones I found most comfortable to listen to because what they do is most like what we do. Mm -hmm. There are some guys who talk about their favourite system. They interview Swedes, and uh, and uh, yeah, they, they they do the occasional actual play as well. I just had a I just had a, a vision there of them interviewing a Swede, as in the vegetable. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Swedes so and turnips, we do them all. <laughs> Sweet potatoes are the best. And, I find. and talking of interviews, actually, at um, uh, I'd like to. Uh, I've got a little tiny um, portable recording device. And I'm hoping to catch a few interviews with other players of uh, Coriolis, uh, just talking about their Coriolis experience and, and maybe the other Free League games as well. Mm. Uh, and so we've, we can bank up a whole bunch of players in the Hammam to, uh, that's to excellent use in future yeah, yeah. podcasts. Yeah, that's really good. And the other thing, of course, we'll be recording on that little device is character generation for the Grindbone tournament. But yeah. more of we'll that talk about that later. later. Yeah. So talking about other games, um, you will have seen that the Kickstarter for Elysium kicked off this week. Uh, the, the I have the, seen that. The final instalment, I think, in the Mutant Year Zero uh, franchise, 
where it's a it's another standalone game from Free League, but it fits perfectly well into the Mutant Year Zero, Mechatron, Genlab Alpha, all of those games as well. It's the same universe. And um, that is telling about the final fall of mankind uh, in that universe. So that's going to be really exciting. I um, Have you kicked in for it, Matt? I have not yet. I'm assuming you have. Uh, I wasn't going to, but then I saw it and I did. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so why a... weren't you going to? Because you've got all of the other uh, Mutant Year Zero things. It feels a terrible shame not to have included no, um, uh, that in your collection. No, I think you've you've pretty much explained my thinking. So my my uh, my my new approach to Kickstarters, which is not to do any for a while, because I've done far too many. <laughs> Um, yes. Was my was my de- some money. Was That's my a good approach. Exactly. It was my default, and um, I then looked at it, and then I thought, well, I've done all the others, and I'd be be, it'd be disappointing not to complete the set. And then, lo and behold, ten seconds later, I'd kicked in uh, <laughs> at the at the chief yeah. at the chief inspector level, which is the kind of level that I always go for. It's the one where you get the physical book, and you get the um, the unlocked physical items. So I get the dice, I get the cards. Um, that's the kind of level I like to kick in at. Yeah. So you bought original Mutant Year Zero from the, your friendly local gaming store, didn't you? I did, yeah. Uh, on a complete and utter whim um, several years ago, just looking for stuff that I would like for Christmas. And I saw it and I thought, well, it looks all right. So I bought it, brought it home, gave it to my wife, said, wrap this for me wrap for Christmas. <laughs> um, and haven't really looked back, actually. There's been no, a, a lot of no, stuff. A lot of stuff has come from that afternoon that I wandered up to Oxford Street and had a look around Orcs Nest in London and uh, mm. spotting Mutant Year Zero sitting quietly on its own amongst all the other games that were there. Uh, that's Yeah, that's been quite a pivotal moment. Yeah. Uh, and so, of course, you then um, kicked in on the Coriolis Kickstarter and got me to kick in as well. I did indeed. And the other, um, uh, the other ones, Mechatron and Genlab Alpha, you went to the Kickstarter and supported those. I did. Both of those. So it does feel right that you should go with Elysium as well. <laughs> um, there is... The reason I haven't is because I, you know, you you did all that. In fact, you, I, I've never even got to play Mutant Year Zero with you. I rolled up characters one day, but um, that's for your midweek game, which is hard for me to get to. So yeah. I've never actually joined you. And I then, I I actually sort of completed my collection, except for Mechatron and uh, this one, Elysium, uh, on a Humble Bundle or um, Bundle of Holding deal. Mm. Did you... So I've got PDFs of them all. Right. Did you get uh, Genlab Alpha as well? Oh, yeah. Maybe I did get Genlab Alpha. Yeah. 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 yeah I got Genlab Alpha and the first one, uh, Year Zero itself. Yeah. But I don't think it includes Mechatron. No. And so... I haven't got Mechatron, um, and I thought, well, you know, and particularly because these books are always so campaign-heavy, you know, I wouldn't want to necessarily spoil a campaign if ever we get round to playing it and and you've got it and run it. So, I don't know. I might go in for the at the very cheapest PDF level. um, Yeah. So, I I think for me, it's it's a real pity that, I mean, Free League have really had a uh, a very powerful conveyor belt of great games over the last two or three years, just pumping them out every few months. And yeah. I've I've run Mutant Year Zero, haven't played it. 
I haven't had the chance to run GenLab Alpha. I haven't had the chance to run Mechatron. I don't know when I'm going to get the chance to run Elysium, largely because I'm playing Coriolis and uh, Forbidden Lands and Simbarum, which is now obviously a yeah. Yeah, free league game. Um, Part of the stable. So it's... Uh, I've kicked in for it. I, I do just wonder when I'm going to get the chance to play some of these other games, because I really do. I mean, some of the, the ideas behind them are, are really quite interesting ones that, you know, as a actually as a player, I'd like to explore. But I'm sure we'll get around to them eventually. But it's uh, it's, it's a pity that I can't make some more days in the week that I can then <laughs> go and game. Ten, day, yeah. ten days a week would be good. If only, I'll tell you what we really need to do is we need to turn this podcast into a really high-paying Patreon-supported podcast and just make a living playing all these games and talking, and talking about, about them. them on a podcast. You're right. That would be the thing. Uh, so all we need is uh, enough money to support two families. To make uh, about if, if 100 are, grand a year. Yeah, that'll do. Yeah. If, if people show us enough willingness to, <laughs> to do that, then... Then we'll play these games for you. So, so, so we'll, my, we'll my, my mental arithmetic is awful, but if we've got about 500 listeners, 100 grand divided by 500, how much do they have to give us each? It's not so yeah, much. It's not I, so much, is it? Well, and bear in mind anyway. that some of those 500 subscribers are likely to be Google bots as well. So, um, <laughs> no, it's, <laughs> it, it's a big ask we're asking about this. That's true. That's but true. if we played more games, then we'd expand our audience. We would. It would work really well. Yeah, so it's a, it's a win win situation. Um, but yeah, coming back to Elysium, the last thing I'd want to quickly say is a shout out for our mate Doug Shute from Victory Conditioning Gaming. He has a interview with Thomas Herrenstam on Sunday. I hope we get this out by then. I don't know. Yes, we if, not. if you're um, listening to this on Sunday, it's then, uh, six, then... six o'clock Central European time, which I think is the same as GMT. On Sunday evening, Sunday the, what that'll be, 23rd, 25th, um, yeah. Doug has invited both Matt and I to participate in that, but I think, unfortunately, neither of us are going to be able to make it. Um, I'm certainly not going to be able to, unfortunately. I've told Doug that, but um, it'll, be yeah. a, it'll be a brilliant interview anyway, even though, uh, you know, it would have been better with me in there, of course, but... Uh, <laughs> Um, so it I encourage... won't be as good as our interview with Nils at Dragon Meat, actually, will it? It can't possibly be as good, but it is on video. And, yeah. and Doug so... is is then the you know, the second best interviewer or interview team in the world behind the Coriolis yes. Effect team. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is true. But yeah, so um, hi Doug, hi Doug, well done for being the second best interviewer <laughs> in the world. Hope you're well, mate. Um, but everybody, go and listen to Victory Condition Gaming on YouTube at six o'clock this Sunday. Yes. Cool. Shout out to Doug. Excellent. Um, have we got any other gaming news? I'm just trying to think. Well, I mean, uh, well, we're still waiting for Forbidden Lands, but of course the next thing that should be dropping on our doorsteps is the Coriolis campaign, Emissary Lost. Emissary Lost, yeah. Uh, the, which we're promised is going to start delivering on Monday. But we'll wait and see. <laughs> yeah. Yes. It looks like GameQuest have quite a lot on their plate at the moment. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah. So that'd be great. I mean, it'll be good to see that when it arrives. I think the I mean, this is the first time really with a Kickstarter that I've been a little bit frustrated by the delivery because yeah. I totally accept with Kickstarters that they'll arrive when they arrive and that they are going to take, you know, you're not going to get a, def, a definitive date that you're going to get them in your hand. I think 
is just with with Forbidden Lands because we do have a deadline of Dragon Meat that we want to work to, and we were expecting it probably a month ago, nearly or more. Um, or yeah, more. I mean, we we were thinking we'd be having it in our hands in time for the weekend, yeah, weren't we? The gaming weekend, yeah. So and, uh, that's and that the, didn't happen. So I think that's just my frustration on this occasion. But with MSRE Lost, um, when it arrives, it arrives. That'll be great. So yeah. Um, you know, it is a bit frustrating knowing that it's all sitting there in the warehouse and has been for weeks and weeks and weeks. Um, that, yeah. That's the most frustrating thing about this, apart from our deadline. And it's, you know, it's no fault really of Games Quest or Free and Again. Obviously, Free and Again um, delayed production on a few things because they wanted to get some stuff reprinted. Yeah. And then, of course, they missed their slot that Games Quest would have, you know, had them booked in for doing delivery in, I don't know, September or something. And then when they finally had everything ready, uh, Cult, which is another massively delayed Kickstarter, again from Sweden, had also delivered its stock. And so they took weeks sending out all that Cult stuff before they could even start on on this one. So yeah, it's, it's nobody's fault, but it, it is frustrating. It's been a bit of a perfect storm of, of lots of little things combining into into a, a big delay. But yeah, it's as I yeah. said, for me, it's just the frustration of potentially not getting it for Dragon Meat, but so be it, if that's the case. There we go. Yeah. I guess, though, we should move forward and talk about the subject of this podcast. Um, it, last week, or sorry, in the last episode, we talked quite a bit about uh, the uh, Zenithian hegemony. And... Um, at the end of that conversation, we wondered whether the Draconites were actually the Zenithian hegemony's uh, sworn enemies. And I, you sent me the homework of um, finding out whether there's any truth in that conjecture. I did. Do you want to listen to what I said? Yep, let's do that. Last episode, we speculated that the Draconites knew what dreadful racist the Zenithian hegemony would become and set themselves up to defeat it. So, I am going through the books looking for evidence of the Nazi-punching heroes I hope the Draconites will turn out to be. If we paint the hegemonists as the dark-uniformed Imperial Space Nazis of Star Wars, then surely it follows that the Draconites, a secretive order with a system of apprentices, are the Jedi Knights of the Horizon though they have no history of guiding a galactic Old Republic to the light. On page 183, we read of the Draconites as traitors, a third faction in the nascent disagreement between the hegemonists and what will become the consortium. But we don't get told whether any particular family leads them. Are the Draconites made up of more liberal members of all the Zenithian families. It doesn't seem that they are liberal at all, actually, with their worship of the executioner aspect of the Lady of Tears and their motto, Through Conflict, the Truth. Do they have sleeper agents embedded in both sides of the Zenithian debate? It seems to me that they actually left the Zenith before it finished its tour of the Third Horizon at Kua. I wonder if they discovered some ancient secret on that tour and without revealing it to their crewmates, abandoned ship to take advantage of what that secret offered. 
but there is very little detail in the core book, where again and again it says how little is known about the faction. And even in the Artifacts and Faction Technology supplement, it mentions only meson weaponry and an admittedly impressive camouflage sphere. No mention is made of any truly ancient artefacts that they might have discovered. One thing we do know is that pretty much the first thing they did as an independent faction was not join with the Consortium and the Legion to wipe out the hegemony, but rather to join with the Order of the Pariah and the Legion to wipe out the Nazarene sacrifice. Why? Were the sacrifice the greater threat? Or did they think the continued survival of the hegemony would be useful to them, if only to keep the consortium occupied? I have one last unanswered question. What is a Draconite Dragoon? Sometimes I feel that when writing the subconcept suggestions, the authors just choose words that look kind of cool without really thinking about what it might mean. And perhaps that's okay. It's just a couple of words slammed together to prompt the player's imagination. But the Draconite Dragoon rubbed me up the wrong way. It's in the operative concept, which is kind of about secret agents. But it's a word which, to me, invokes images of grav bikes and dashing uniforms. At this point, regular listeners are probably shouting at their speakers that everything reminds me of grav bikes and dashing uniforms, but this time I genuinely have a historical precedent. You see, a dragoon is a specific type of 18th century soldier, a sort of mounted infantry. They would ride into battle on horses, but dismount to engage the enemy. Unlike traditional cavalry, they carried guns short bowled muskets called carbines. The name still exists today for highly mobile Pathfinder troops operating lightly armoured vehicles, all of which seems a far cry from the workings of the most secretive faction in the Third Horizon. But everything I just said about Dragoons is from my memory, and I've just gone to Wikipedia to fact-check myself, and I learned some interesting things. Not least that the British Army converted all its cavalry regiments to dragoons in the 18th century because dragoons were paid less than cavalry. But that's by the by. What's most interesting is that the French persecuted Protestant Huguenot households by forcing them to accept a dragoon as an ill-behaved houseguest until they either converted to the Catholic faith or left the country. Now, I like the idea of this sort of secret policeman, even if it doesn't quite fit with the Nazi-punching hero faction I was looking for when I started with the research. We don't know, from the published books, about any systems where the Draconites are the governing faction. And indeed, the core book suggests that there is no system which the Draconites call home. But I can imagine that somewhere they might well aggressively repress other ideologies in this way. In such a case, the Dragoon would be a thuggish, lower-caste policeman, not privy to the secrets of the Draconites, but steeped in their philosophy. And let's face it, 
If that philosophy included punching Nazis, we'd probably forgive other boorish behaviours. But it doesn't seem that the Draconites are the Nazi punchers I was looking for. If anything, they hold the hegemonists in contempt. But only because the hegemonists' racist dogma is so far removed from the truth that they seek and the secrets that they keep to themselves. So after your build-up, Matt, I'm quite disappointed that these guys aren't the Nazi-punching heroes that you'd promised. Um, it's certainly after our discussion last time about, uh, you know, the, 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 the ethics of playing a really evil character. Um, it was quite nice to think that we were going to get some heroes who we could get behind and cheer. Yeah. Uh, you know, completely Absolutely. Un- You're disappointed. Just imagine my disappointment. <laughs> uh, I, these I guys... combed through those books looking for a little bit of evidence, but nothing. Nothing, I'm afraid. Because these guys aren't actually that nice, are they, really? If they, if they, no, not really. If you're, if you're, uh, you know, drawing a parallel between the, uh, is it the French Huguenots uh, or the the way the French were dealing with the Huguenot Protestants by yes. imposing effectively bruisers in their homes to make their life difficult and presumably not do the washing up and put their feet on the furniture in the hope that they exactly. would then they would then leave. If, if that's a parallel that we're we're going with, and then they're they're bastards, aren't they? They're horrible people. Well, yeah, <laughs> I got to say. Um, and now, obviously, we don't have any evidence that they're behaving like the French. Uh, <sighs> but um, but yeah, I, I would, I, you know, there was I hoping for something, and then being sorely disappointed that these, the well, you know, I don't think I I do think these guys are more like. Jedi than French <laughs> dragoons, right? But, um, but they're not, you know. There, there yeah. isn't much evidence that these are the shining white heroes. The, you know, they don't have, uh, they don't have the laser swords. Um, I mean, you know, I've never been that sure about Jedi in Star Wars. Actually, they did seem like uh, the boot boys of a feudal society, as opposed to the fancy peace-loving monk, uh, monks. They're sometimes portrayed that, that's to be. true. I think I think you know talking about the prequels and the the sequel sequels, um, which you I guess if we've got any Star Wars fans on here, they're now screaming, "No, don't do it! Don't talk about them!" Um, uh, <laughs> and and all that part of the canon. Let's should talk pre- about them though. <sighs> all that part of the canon should perhaps be just binned straight away. Um, the Jedi in that were. Um, arrogant, self-absorbed, full of themselves, a bunch of tossers, really. Um, yeah. Thinking that they had the right to, to decide for everybody else. They weren't the shiny Obi-Wan Kenobi you get in the original Star Wars. No. Um, lovely, lovely original yeah, Star Wars. Obi-Wan exactly. Kenobi. Yeah. Um, but and I don't think I don't I think it's actually even there in the other in the first set of sequels. You know me. I'm I'm a Star Wars purist and by star wars i mean star wars not episode four I yeah mean, hope yeah um and and so that that is a perfect movie and it's spoilt by all the sequels including <laughs> empire strikes back oh, and i know um, we've had this conversation that. before haven't we <laughs> i know we have i need to put but, the, you know I need to it's put empire you strikes the... back and the the other bloody one that actually starts showing you that the uh that the jedi aren't the sweet lovely old men that they seem to be in the first one so um <sighs> No, so, no, maybe. But anyway, those I'm, are the Draconites. The Draconites are just as arrogant as the Jedi. I think we can be agreed on that. Yeah. So I think I don't see the Draconites as anything like the nice Obi Wan Star Wars to Jedi. They are perhaps a bit more like 
the um, Mace Windu arrogant, you know, kind of Jedi. Yes. But I still don't really see them as Jedi at all, really. I think they're probably quite a long way away from from that. <laughs> Although, I think... Um, I, I was thinking about your obsession with grav bikes and dashing uniforms. and uh, It's not an obsession. It is, it is. It's, well, it's beyond an obsession. This is just, you know, you need, you need treatment, Matt. Um, I, was, <laughs> I was kind of wondering where it might have come from. And I just had a, had a thought. Did you watch the programme Chips when you were a kid? Now, for those people who no, are not... No, I do know of it, are of not course. of my gen- yes. or not of our generation. Uh, Chips was a programme about the California, California Highway, Highway Patrol. Patrol. Um, and they have uh, blokes in uniforms that you wear in the sunshine, obviously, because they're in California, riding around on really big motorbikes. Um, and they did have brass buttons on those uniforms, I, I, do, I will give you that. And I do wonder, just thinking, I don't, I don't really remember watching it very much, but was there a kind of, you know homoerotic YMCA feel to it, maybe? Uh, um, um, uh, you know, what, not village, that I village, village people, not YMCA. Village, well, might be YMCA, but village, yeah, village, village people, people you're right. yes, yeah, kind yeah, of feel yeah, to I'm it. I'm getting it? where you're coming from. Um, yeah. So if you don't know what yeah, that is, yeah, short sleeves, muscly arms. Look up, look up chips online and you'll, you'll know what I'm talking about. So I, I wonder whether subliminally that's been hiding in your subconscious all this time and now <laughs> it's finally coming out. And actually, no, I don't want... think so. But I tell you what, it could be not chips. But did you ever see the dreadful uh, Battlestar Galactica sequel, Galactica eighty? I don't recall ever seen that. Which was no. like merging Battlestar Galactica with chips okay. in the weirdest way you could possibly imagine. Right. Uh, it was a really I I don't, can't even how can't remember how many episodes it lasted. But they finally found Earth, and they found Earth in 1980. Funny, um, funny that. <laughs> they, they had some kids who were disguised as scouts, but because Earth had a different gravity and a yellow sun or something nonsense like that, they all had superpowers. And they rode about on, on motorbikes that, or on, on grav bikes that could be disguised as motorbikes in their big Egyptian helmets that I had. That was dreadful programming. Right. I'd like to think that that hasn't invaded my <laughs> subconscious. But I am aware, even as I'm talking about it, that I know too much about you it. You do. I think, I think you've kind of uh, accused and convicted yourself in that last 30 seconds of discussion. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, anyway, back to the Draconite. So a couple of other things that I thought. I, I quite like your idea. Or the idea um, that the Draconites left the Zenith early. Um, yes. Yeah, on their tour, they f- they found something that the others didn't spot, and they jumped ship in order to kind of monopolise the, uh, yeah, the 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 special artifact that they'd found or whatever technology it was. So I really like that idea. Um, I also yeah, that's my favourite discovery. Really. Yeah. And it's not really. It's not. It's not explicit in the books. It's it's kind of hinted at. Uh, but I'd love to. I'd love to know what the technology is that they've discovered. Um, but nobody knows, unless, as you say, it's scheduled for a another campaign release at some point. Maybe it is. But yes. uh, that's speculation on our part. Maybe we should ask. We'll ask Nils about it next weekend. We should. Uh, we I should think. tie him down to a table and talk to him <laughs> until he tells us. Yeah, that sounds. That sounds like a a good plan in most of its aspects. Let yes. me just put my chips uniform on first. Do <laughs> oh, damn, I've given it away. YMCA. Uh, yeah, okay. Um, 
what else did I have to say about that? A couple of other things briefly. Um, you talk about their decision to go after the, Na- the Nazarene sacrifice. I wonder, I mean, just as a comment really, rather than a question, whether that was an entirely sort of ideological threat that they decided to, to join up with the Order of the Pariah and to go after them, rather than a political one, which is what the hegemony might be presenting, perhaps. Mm. I don't know. Um, and the other one, the idea about sleeper agents uh, in the other other parts of the Zenithian uh, hegemony. Is this Alam's temple again? You know, and with all these people meddling, it's amazing that anything gets done in the Third Horizon, really. <laughs> Every faction has a sleeper somewhere fiddling about in the background. They must be like falling, well, out, I don't know. falling over I each mean, other. <laughs> I don't know that they're sleeper agents. I think it's really curious that, you know, all, all the other families in in uh, the Zenithian hegemony, in the Neo-Zenithians, in the consortium, they always make a big thing of they were from such and such a family on on the Zenith, and not a word is said about which family on the Zenith became the Zenithian, uh, became the Jaconites. Yeah, and so I just wonder whether it was um, free thinkers, shall we say, rather than liberals. I think we've already shown they're not particularly liberal uh, <laughs> no, thinkers from from maybe all sorts of families yeah. or maybe there was a sort of underclass a, 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 uh, you know a, who didn't get to be part of the big families I don't know I quite like that idea we... that there was a kind of a, a downtrodden underclass that suddenly saw an opportunity and they jumped ship and um, yeah. everybody else didn't really care because it was a bit like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy when they got rid of the Golga Frinchams you know, got rid of all yes. the middle managers and the telephone sanitizers, and they were like nobody, nobody, no, nobody cared about it until they all died from a virulent disease picked up from a dirty telephone. I love <laughs> the idea that the Jacobites might actually be the god. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah. Oh, anyway, sitting in their bath, drinking gin and tonic. <laughs> uh. Yes. 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 Deba- yeah. So d- I, 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 I think I have to share your disappointment, though, that these aren't the Nazi punchers I was hoping that they would be. But that does free up um, everybody's player characters to be the Nazi punchers that we all want to be. Uh, <sighs> and I wouldn't mind being part of a specifically anti-Zenithian hegemony faction of the Nomad Federation. I think mm. would be the best Nazi punchers. Um, yeah, cool. But we'll um, we'll have to leave that for a future campaign. Yeah, well, good discussion. Thanks, Matt. Um, I mean, talking about campaigns, um, we we had our fabulous weekend away a little while ago, a few weeks ago, and we had the next instalment of uh, the as I said, the, the the inappropriately named Mukafar campaign because the Mukafar as a ship <laughs> is now yes. long gone, um, and that was a great game and I, I there was a couple of things I just wanted to pull out um, to talk about because we've got that recorded uh, I'm not sure when we're going to be getting that out to people so we won't put out yeah well that's an interesting thing because we we record well we successfully recorded two um, two adventures didn't we, we recorded that Coriolis one yep. and another Simbaroon one we did do you think we should edit the Coriolis one before the next Simbaroon one, because we're currently, uh, between episodes of our magazine programme, we're currently doing the actual play of that Simbaroon adventure, or of so, yeah, preceding Simbaroon so, adventure. Yeah, I'm just finishing off editing the last episode of of the previous 
uh, episode, the um, the tale of the troubled spirits, and that um, I well, my feeling is that we should probably do Coriolis next out of those okay. two. I mean, we did try and record our Forbidden Lands game, but technical issues, gremlins got in the way, and unfortunately, <clears throat> that's that's a real pity because that was a really good game, and I think people are really interested to hear more about Forbidden Lands. But we could talk a little bit about that game in a moment. Um, So my feeling is Coriolis next. But if there are any views out there from our listeners, then please let us know what what kind of things you would like to hear more of. Um, Would would you want more Coriolis, more Simbaroom? Or would you like us to focus a bit on Forbidden Lands, maybe? Um, And try and get some of those out. uh, I, I'm really disappointed about the uh, my own stupid uh, screw up actually on the Forbidden Lands recording. I wasn't I wasn't going to nail nail you to the wall. Over no, this I'm, 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 I'm going to I'm going to culpa this one because uh, I'm so cross with myself. Um, uh, having set up everything, um, at some point the uh, mic input reverted from the multiple mic setup to the one on the computer. Which of course sounds shit. Um, yeah. So uh, I, we may be able to salvage some bits of it for talking points, but uh, I haven't even listened to it again. No, that's a pity. But I think people would enjoy um, uh, more Forbidden Lands, uh, and I've got a question actually, which you were asking me on uh, as we drove back from the gaming weekend. Uh, you said you were in a really difficult position because you wanted me to run mm-hmm. more Coriolis and you also wanted me to run more Forbidden Lands and we don't actually get together all that much to actually play a game. We like playing face-to-face as opposed to over the internet or anything. And um, and so we were in that quandary and I guess what we'd really like uh, from our listeners is do you want to hear more Forbidden Lands or more Coriolis would be... Uh, would help us make a decision for what game we play over the next year. Mm. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that we wouldn't play the other one, but we might choose one first. Yeah, yeah. So we do, I mean, we do have that that problem, um, seeing we only get together infrequently. Uh, it ends up being kind of one one game per, one scenario per game per year, really, in our group. Yes, um, maybe one or two. I think we've managed quite a few Simba Rooms this year, haven't we? Yeah, yeah, maybe so, yeah. Um, um, but, uh, yeah, so it's only one or two scenarios over the coming year that you'll get from me. And uh, if people want to feedback on Twitter or on G+, or on our Facebook page, or comment on uh, the blog that this gets published on, um, yeah, tell us what your thoughts are. Yeah. But... Before that, we ought to tempt these guys with how brilliant the Forbidden Lands adventure was. <laughs> uh, and I really want to write up how um, how I generated it, because we'd done the one that's already come out on the recording, which is only ever really meant to be a one-off. We weren't planning a campaign. You guys wanted another one. And you guys were heading towards a particular part of the map that isn't... Um, described in any of the scenarios or adventure sites in the book um and and so i had to create an adventure and i'd been writing up the one for coriolis i didn't really have much time to write this one up so i used the random legends and uh, adventurers booklet to create a legend about the site 
And then I used the random dungeon generator, for want of a better word, that's all included in the book, to to roll up the village that you visited uh, in the ruins and the dungeon that you discovered in the village. And so that was all entirely randomly generated, but it held together really well as a story. Added on to that, actually, of course, there was the random character generation... Uh, sorry, a random... A random encounter that that took a good hour for you guys to uh, pontificate over. But it seemed to me as GM that you guys were having such a lot of fun with all of that. Hardly any of which came out of my actual brain. (laughs) No, it worked brilliantly. And and there was no there there was no kind of cracks in the, the, the narrative or the story that would in any way indicate that you hadn't sat down and thought about it. You know, there was nothing in there to to make a, you as a player go, oh, this has been rolled up randomly because it doesn't really hang together, um, because it did. It hanged together really well. And as you say, it's as a GM, you do find that it's impossible or almost impossible to predict what your players are going to do and how long they're going to take over it. So the mm-hmm. the random encounter we had, which ended up being, I think it was three three. Uh, starving people who had actually escaped from Grindbone, you know, former slaves, were trying to sneak in and steal some of our stuff uh, as we had a camp overnight, which was, you know, made absolute sense for them. They were in the middle of nowhere. They needed uh, food and water and things. Um, we obviously uh, challenged them. Yeah, you your character was on guard duty yeah. at the time, I seem to remember. So you spotted them reasonably early. Yeah. Um, cha- challenged them, made them surrender, and then their story came out, which was they were slaves from Grindbone, which was just to our south, a day's travel away, maybe two days, and uh, they'd fled, they'd escaped, and they were trying to, to get away. And we had, I don't know, an hour, hour and a half debate over what to do with those guys. Now, I won't, I don't know, I was going to say, I'm not going to spoil it because we've got the recording, but we don't have the recording, do we? Um <laughs> <laughs> Spoil it as much as you yeah. want. I mean, you, your your opinion initially was, and actually this is worth a discussion in its own right. Uh, your opinion was let's say let's take them back to Grindbone and um, and sell them back to them, get a reward yeah. for them, wasn't it? it they, yeah. You were you were totally mercenary about this, and actually there's a couple of points I want to pick up here. <laughs> One was I actually. The random encounter didn't mention Grindbone. I had Grindbone in my head because I'd suddenly got worried like the night before. Oh, yes. You might not go in the direction that you said you were going to go at the previous adventure. And you might head to the nearest village, which I hadn't really prepared at all. The one that I'd randomly generated wouldn't work with that particular setting. So I leafed through the book hurriedly going, what's a village near a river? (laughs) By coincidence, it turned out to be Grindbone. So I mentioned that uh, uh, as the origin of these guys when they'd come out. I hadn't really even read up the Grindbone adventure site, so if you had gone south, um, the, it would have been a very different adventure and probably not as good. But then the other thing, and the thing maybe that made you find your morals, is nowhere in the Forbidden Lands books, as we discovered, does it give you the price of slavery? <laughs> No, that's that is true. I mean, our so far, our characters because they have had so little to start with, have been entirely focused on getting money, and so in the first game, which I think it's all been put out now, hasn't it? 
Um, we, yeah. we, we spent a lot of time trying to steal some money. Um, and we, we were definitely off- not earning any money. Well, we were offered an opportunity to earn money, but it was the, what, the money for a nice, it- honest work burning somebody's ships. Um, but the, but the price wasn't good enough. So we got all on our high horse and pretended to be, have our honor besmirched by this ridiculous <laughs> suggestion. But, the, but the ridiculous suggestion was that they hadn't offered us, offered us enough money. Um, so we were, we are pretty money grabbing, avaricious bunch at the moment. And so when we came into that situation and we had, you know, three slaves here, we could go and sell back. thought, great, that could be, must be a few gold for that at least. And we had quite a long conversation over, okay, do we sell two of them? Do we, is it better to kill them rather than have them die slowly in the wastes? Because as they surely would if we didn't help them. Um, And then Tony was, well, why don't we go and sell them then rather than just kill them? And it's like, well, it's a day out of our way. And we've got to go down to Grindbone and they might not take very well to us bringing their slaves back. Um, and in the end, after a long debate, even though Tony was still, Tony the peddler, um, Isambold, the um, the halfling peddler, was like, oh, come on, let's just go and sell them. You know, there's money here. Uh, we decided to take one of them on as a kind of a retainer who is now effectively my character's sort of Baldrick. Squire, I Squire, guess. yeah. Yeah, Batman. Baldrick, yeah. Um, and so far, he's proved his loyalty, and we've been quite nice to him to try and to keep the loyalty. And then we gave some money to the other two. <laughs> it's like, yeah. we went from one end of the scale, which was either just kill them all out of hand or take them back to slavery and sell them, get, make some money, if we could be asked. actually, was the... Uh, you know, we wasn't sure we could be bothered walking that extra day out of our way because we were going to this other location. Um, all the way then swung to bring one of them on board as team member and give the others some money and stuff so they might survive and get back up to uh, to the hollows, like, which I guess was the, the other nearest village. But it was a great, um, you know, a great hour and a half of role-playing. And I think me, Tony and Andy all really enjoyed that debate from what was a totally random encounter roll of the dice and it worked brilliantly um yeah and you know it was as you say it was an hour and a half of game from one roll of the dice that hadn't been planned at all um but it it, it entertained us all mm. uh that debate and um the rather feeble fight beforehand because these guys were going to give up pretty quickly um uh so you know that, and I hadn't even planned any of that. Yeah. And then you know, you got to eventually you got to the village that I that I had planned, uh, and that went again so smoothly. You made the story out of that. There were you know, the random character generation or random adventure site generation tables, kind of put various situations in play. I'd created a legend, which is the sort of thing I should have given you in the previous scenario to sort of tempt you towards that yeah. village. And I realised I should also have created another legend about, you know, where to go next. But in a way, you haven't really finished in this village, so that's okay. I think you you feel there's there's more to be got here. Um, uh, I I there you went. The first tavern you went into was one where there was a random. A customer who was a bit of a treasure hunter who immediately, you know, once you started talking to him, led on to uh, telling his story about how he wasn't um, 
wanting to explore this dungeon he'd discovered uh, and you went off and um, to see whether you could do a better job of that. Um, and that worked. And yeah, and there was a... Sorry, no, go ahead. Saying, and that worked, that worked really nicely. I mean, the, the guy in the inn did... I, you know, I guess as in, in any scenarios, you, you've got to have your plot hooks and your plot devices. So, if, you know, it was a bit like that. But then, you know, we're going into this place to try and find our our fortune. So, you know, dungeons to be explored are exactly the kind of thing that we're looking for. Um, the other thing I thought was really interesting was um, the combat. So mm-hmm. the, the the combat worked really well. Okay, we only we didn't use the advanced rules. We only used the, the, the basic rules. But combat in these games can be really dangerous. And we had on one occasion in this dungeon two, I can't remember what they were exactly now, were they some kind of demonic hounds or something? Um, uh, I was going to call them dire wolves, but they're not dire wolves, they're no, night wargs. Night wargs, that was it. And mm. and we were trying to sneak past them, but it was clear that we weren't going to be able to. So we had surprise, and we came up with a little tactical plan. Um, uh, we decided to focus on one of them, so we'd all just try and take one down quickly. Because combat in this game is really dangerous, and a, and a nasty swipe can just kill you. You know, in one go, yeah. as, as with all freely. Well, it can break you. Yeah, but then uh, whether you, it kills you or not is a, then another random gen- roll of the dice. But if you're, but, uh, yeah, I mean, if you're broken def- on, you can get broken. If you're easily. broken on strength, you can be, uh, you'll get a critical hit, and then yeah. um, I guess there is the option to coup de gras the character if they're defenceless, um, which would be a bit harsh. I think of a referee to do that in a random encounter kind of thing, but it might as a GM, it might work. I wouldn't coup de gras you actually. Yeah. I think generally, um, I think it I'll might. Break you. I mean, it might work. Uh, you know, if there's a huge finale, um, yeah, a really critical narrative moment where actually your death is um, you know, more powerful than yeah. you surviving. But yeah, so um, but we did that attack, and we were I went suddenly I went into it anyway with a palpable sense of my character might get killed here and uh, my elf warrior is has a you know protect my friends kind of shtick about him and so I was blocking attacks that were going against the others so I was taking a lot of the I was tanking it effectively Um, Mm -hmm. but it worked really well and we managed it we killed one of them quickly so we we you know we obviously halved their potential threat in, in the first round with our surprise and it worked really well so I thought the you know that the the tactical thinking that the 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 threat of death brings in the combat system um, I, I felt it really keenly in that game more so I think than I felt in in some of the other free league games but yeah that, well, that, so that's not Coriolis is a more forgiving system I think it turns out in terms of combat uh, you've got far more hit points. Your hit points don't affect your attack dice, which uh, in in Forbidden Lands they do. Yes, that so was something. As your strength gets depleted, you you roll less dice to attack. Yes, that was something that we debated a bit, wasn't it? Yeah, because yeah, we would have we we didn't play that rule on this occasion because we were confused about it. Subsequently, realised that actually we were running it incorrectly, and that fight would have been mm. much harder. If we've yeah. been doing that, because certainly my character would have been rolling three or four less dice for most of the fight. As it, yeah, yeah. As, as you took hits, yeah. So yeah, it's a hard old, hard old fight. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and, and but I'm but it will be playing it according to the rules uh, when we do the Grindbone tournament. We will. We will have no mercy. <laughs> no. And, uh, and people can discover for themselves how deadly it is. But yeah, um, it, it, that we left that adventure with you guys wanting more. You, you've, yeah. you've found some treasure. You've got out alive from the dungeon. You met a weird undead elf, which is just about the only thing I made up. <laughs> Uh, but and even I made that up by sticking two bits together. So the legend to talk about uh, uh, an elf that had um, gone to this place uh, centuries ago, and then uh, the the sort of random dungeon generator had said there's an undead here, and I went undead elf. Let's <laughs> jam those together, and to create that sort of well, what turned out to be a sort of elf vampire. I mean, you guys called her a vampire. I hadn't even thought of her as such until. Um, you said it, but uh, yeah, you then had this elf vampire to defeat, who actually was quite weak because undead, comparatively compared to night wargs. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, it it was still a a, a bit of a challenging fight there, wasn't it? The, the last one didn't feel as anywhere near as challenging as the wargs. I mean, I think we all expected no. it to be challenging, and then yes. Gorma the goblin and his character. Gave her one solid hit and then she was down. So that was quite a, a relief, I think, because we were all quite. Because I think at that point we'd we'd made friends with her originally. She'd lured us in and had been friendly towards us, and we were just uh, deciding to sleep for a few hours. Uh, and yeah. and Andy was Gorma the Goblin was on guard whilst we were sleeping when she came over and started sucking my life essence out. Um, yeah, and it became. Well, actually, became it wasn't, she wasn't sucking your life sentence out. It was just biting you. But it <laughs> okay. did give her. Well, I assumed. <laughs> I assumed she was doing some kind of yes. vampiric, ghostly, you know, you know, get my life essence so she can live kind of thing. But oh no, she just biting yeah. me. But that's that still might have killed me because I, no, yeah. I was still very I, low I think, on hit points you know, at that um, point on strength. It, but it was great. It worked but really well. Would... I thought the um, uh, you know, the game ran really well. As you can tell, Matt, from the way that we want to play more, then we're all really enjoying it. It's, it's been really good fun. There was an interesting other point that came out that we talked about on the day, which was looking at the maps. How do we as explorers going into the Forbidden Lands for the first time know that there is a village where there is a village marked on the map? Because we can obviously see yeah. the map. Um, how do we know about that? So we didn't really, I don't think, come to a uh, entirely satisfying no. conclusion about why that might be. Um, yeah, I, I think that's an interesting decision that uh, GMs should take before play. So again, with us, you know, we, we, we'd planned this as a one-off. It's becoming a, a campaign. You know, I'd shared the map with you for that one-off and said, where do you want to start? Um, but actually... Uh, should the map be shared with the players even or you know should i say you start here in this place and this is the six squares around you that you know of um or do i give you a version of the map that talks about some of the things that you might have cropped up in your randomly generated characters have had some previous life so yeah do we do we mark a place where so and so escaped from the rust brothers and another place where you saved um, um, Isambard from bandits or whatever, but those things are scattered on an otherwise blank map and you only 
learn about the locations of villages from the stories that people tell you. There's all sorts of options. Yeah, I, uh, I think. I mean, but we. I, I quite like as a player. I quite like like the idea of having the map laid out on the table before you and looking at it and deciding what sort of direction you want to go in. I, I think what you, as a GM, might want to do, or an option could be that you just say, "Well, this is this is an old map that you found from." 200 years ago, mm. written by, you know, an old explorer who was senile when he drew it, um, you know, who left just before the Red Mist came down. And you've got no idea how truthful it is. And you can yes. find that you go to a location on there that's marked as a village. And it's having a village. You're and never. find there's absolutely nothing there. I think for that, yeah. you would want stickers that have nothing. So as the GM, yeah. you could put a nothing sticker over that point when the when you've made this huge journey to find this castle say that you think is on the map but actually you get there and, and obviously nothing. the guy yes. the guy was mistaken or was making it yeah. up or something and there's nothing there um so i think that's quite a nice interesting uncertainty that could be could be thrown into it um but i think there's a number of ways you could do it but i, I quite like that one as a player i quite like the idea of that one yeah, cool. Right, we've been talking quite a lot about this weekend. We but do we have. want to quickly talk about the Coriolis adventure before we finish? Yeah, I think there's just two things I wanted to draw out from that. Um, and both of them are positive towards you. Although <laughs> one, of, one of them on the day... Well, they might not have felt so at the time. Might not have felt <laughs> at the time, no. So um, this game started with Yafet, Salah and Salem in custody... Um, being effectively drop-shipped, dumped on a prison planet. And the opening, I guess, hour of the game, I won't go into it in too much detail because we will play it. Basically, This is one that you'll spoil carefully. Yeah. basically, we, But it, I really like that opening. I, I said it. Say, I was yeah. very proud of myself for that one. Yeah, um, and, I think, and not proud of myself, but proud of you guys as players for playing it the way you did. So it, 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 worked, it, it worked out really well, and it could have gone in a number of different ways and the way it went for us is possibly one of the less likely ways that it could go so it 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 had a really good feel to it it felt like the opening of a movie um Mm. it had a real sense of kind of desolation and threat and almost kind of desperation in what we were trying to do um and i won't i won't reveal what happened but it the the outcome as a player was uh, was really it was a really satisfying, exciting player experience. That that opening couple of hours was really really good. Yeah, so, and I have to say it wasn't scripted at all. That you know I had expected I'd put all the pieces in play, and to be honest, I'd expected um, the outcome of that encounter to go the other way. Yeah, and um, and it didn't happen like that. And we won't spoil it too much, um, uh, but. Uh, in a way, it gave you more time to get frustrated at the end of the <laughs> at the end of the adventure. So, I, 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 uh, do you want to talk about the ending? Yeah. So, I, I, again, without any spoilers, although I think people have listened to our previous podcasts when we were talking about the um, the what did I call it? The Star City Ship, Star Singer, Star Singer City Ship, aka the Liberator from Blake Seven. So we knew roughly where this scenario was going. And I, well, you did. The others did. Yeah, okay, yeah, fair enough. I mean, it, Tony probably did, because I suspect he'd listen to the podcast. Um, but Oh, he had, yeah. He so, so we were expecting, I was expecting, and I think this is, a, this, is a, this is my error 
as a player. Um, not sufficiently suspending my own disbelief because I knew where I thought the scenario was going. So when we got uh, uh, a picture that had something that looked like the Liberator stuck in a tiny icon in the corner, you know, it was obvious where it was going. So I had this expectation, foolishly and wrongly, that we were going to be getting off the planet on this ship in this game. And as it became less and less likely that that was going to happen, and it got later and later into the night, it was about two o'clock in the morning when we finished this, and we got more and more drunk because we'd been drinking beer for 12 hours, um, that frustration got really quite strong. And um, I, I hope, I hope um, you know, I really hope it didn't uh, upset you how kind of at the end I just went, oh God, that's so unsatisfying. Um <laughs> And I, I was thinking in hindsight that actually that was a, a very, one, it was unsatisfying in the moment, but actually that unsatisfaction has really added to the emotion and the impact of the game. So actually that was a really good thing rather than a really bad thing in hindsight when I wasn't really tired and really drunk. Um, mm. So uh, it was, and it's, and it's actually set us up for the next scenario to go in one of multiple different ways actually i think we've now got lots of options because one option which is probably still on the table doesn't feel like it which again will become apparent when uh, people listen when to people the listen. To, to the to the to the actual plays but it opens up lots of other options because andy's got some stuff he wants to do i'm sure there's things that tony's got in mind and so in that sense yeah. despite the momentary dissatisfaction of not seeing the scenario through to the ending that I was expecting, foolishly, I shouldn't have had that expectation. Um, it, it's worked out brilliantly, actually. So it was really good. Yeah. And, and, and I've got to say, that that wasn't... Pla- I was, when I'd written the scenario, I was expecting it to go more smoothly than it did hmm. towards the end. And yes, very possibly you guys, you know, having a climactic takeoff uh, adventure-wise. But just, you know, the characters kind of, took hold and i did have this um uh for want of a not spoiling it shall we say a stubborn character yes who is um clinically stubborn <laughs> uh, might be the way to do it and i said well you, you know this clinically stubborn character will happen and here's a reason for it and um but i had expected you to get around that more easily yeah. to, you know for it to be less frustrating than you guys found it and mm. i do wonder whether as you say actually trying to think the way around the problem at one o'clock in the morning after um, <laughs> 20, 48 hours of gaming yeah. was you know possibly neither of us you as you as players or me as gm were were in a state where we could see well how do we get out of this hole i've done yeah we um, we might have expended but, our reserves of imagination by then weren't we yeah, but you know, actually, the the real player frustration that you guys felt um, does get translated into character frustration in a really entertaining way. Yeah. And um, at one point, I said, "Well, let, you know, let's call it quits now because you know we've hit stalemate effectively." But it doesn't it doesn't preclude um, you solving that particular problem and maybe other issues uh, yeah. in another adventure. And. Yeah, I've got extra value out of this adventure by the fact that it's definitely got a second half now. Yeah. And I've been thinking of all sorts of exciting things that could be happening while while that problem is solved. <laughs> no, it was a great game. It was really good. Um, and I I subsequently uh, you know, felt a bit bad about how, how unsatisfied 
I think you know, so, well, all of us were actually us players because we yeah because well, no, we were no, we were quite no. frustrated by by yeah our kind of lack of progress and our our lack of ability to get round the the particular problems that you placed in front of us. But that's good in that um, sense because it's you know you know you you play a game in a four or five hour uh, window. We play, as I said, we played. That was the second, the first time we played Coriolis since the previous trip away. So we only played it once a year, and you kind of think in that time you've got to get to a conclusion that's relatively, uh, relatively, what's the right word? You know, um, complete, like a satisfying conclusion, rather than leaving it, you know, to be continued, kind of thing, which is where we've left it this time. But that's good. I mean, yeah, it's, it's really good. I'm looking forward to the next scenario. I think in a way that is the advantage of doing it in this sort of format where we don't, you know, normally when we get together, uh, we've got to drive home. It's got to finish at, you know, six-ish yeah. or something like that. And so we, I'm sure we artificially or subconsciously, I should say, mould it to have a satisfying adventure within the, the four hours or whatever we've allotted. Yeah. And here... Because we've got that free form, I think I'm definitely guilty of saying, "Well, we've got the luxury of time. Let's just see where this goes." Yes, and 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 we take advantage of that. And I think you know it was a better adventure for that, but it did leave at you know at two o'clock in the morning when you go, "No, let me do the thing I want to do." <laughs> yeah, exactly. You said I could have a um, nice spaceship and fly away in it. You're not letting me. It's not fair. Yeah, I think there was a, there was a bit of that going on. Yeah. And there was, you know, I think I was equally frustrated because I, you know, I was going, well, why can't we think of a way around this problem? This has got to be a soluble problem. <laughs> um, uh, I remember thinking, you know, why aren't you just lying? It was one of the things. Why didn't you just say, yeah, fine. Okay, we'll do it your way. And then not do it your way. <laughs> but, I know, that, I th- that didn't even occur to me at all at the time. Um, no. For, for, I think, good character um, reasons. But maybe if I had been a bit less tired and a bit less beard up. I might have been a bit sneakier about it, but um, let's not give away too many, too many spoilers. Yeah, yeah. Um, I really, uh, I think, I, I, I think it should translate into a really good actual play. So go and have a listen to it, guys. Once we start getting it out, I'm not sure how soon that'll be, but yeah, hopefully I in think, the next few yeah. weeks. We'll, we'll try and get it out in the next couple of weeks. I think it'll be really good to listen. to. Yeah. Cool. Okay, we ought to move on. We must actually. move on. Um, we were going to do a quick one. We want today. to talk a bit more about Grindbone. Actually, it's come up already in conversation a few times, um, but it's going to be the setting for uh, those of us who join us at the podcast zone at Dragon Meat on December the 1st. Got to get the plug in. Yep, absolutely. Um, and, and Dave, you want to give us an introduction to it? Yeah, I've had a little look and I've uh, come up with this piece. As I was editing this episode, I suddenly thought that some people out there, players especially, who have no intention of running Forbidden Lands, may not want to know quite everything about Grindbone. So, take this as a spoiler warning. If you don't want to know about Grindbone, skip the next nine minutes. Grindbone. A price and a place. For everyone. My dear traveller, somewhere lost in the mists of the Forbidden Lands lies Grindbone. On a first and distant sighting, the village looks welcoming. Beautifully carved into the side of a hill, with a crystal river circling its feet. Downstream, the mill's wheel ponderously paddles in the water, 
while the awesome ruin of the Stonefang Tower sits imperiously above it all. Fingers of smoke reach into the air, and the distant sounds of a busy and happy settlement can be heard. But, dear traveller, don't be fooled. The name tells you everything you need to know about the place, and about carving out a life in this place. Few hunters have dared to approach, but they do whisper of Grindbone, of the cry of the village's mill by the river, and the gloom that rests over it. It is said the millstones grind the souls of the enslaved dust, since slaves have no use for their spirits. The adventurer's path to this place will be unsure, although some come to Grindbone through compulsion, others through exultation. Some say there are maps made by those fortunate enough or strong enough to leave the village, for those foolish or greedy enough to want to venture there. Others are swept up by the slaver gangs, the bone ferrets or the rust brothers, and brought to the village in chains. As you approach, dear traveller, the gentle sounds of life that you could hear from a mile away slowly resolve themselves into what they really are. The clash of steel on steel. Angry shouts emerging from the heated buzz that hums from the village. The groans and screams shrieking from the screaming mill. Not a place to mill flour for warm and tasty bread, but a home for torment day and night. You can see the hill by the mill, that once shone white with spilled flour, but now is dark with dried blood. To an impoverished slave, the phrase, to go milling, is not something she wants to hear. Grindbone is a slaver town, a cruel and dangerous place, and not much else. Smugglers and other unworthies use the village as a meeting point, and as such unfamiliar faces are immediately spotted and are seldom welcome. This is, in the most extreme sense, a wretched hive of scum and villainy. Even normal businesses are run with a callous and ruthless edge. The brewer, known as the Boar, produces Grindbone's own beer, a middling-quality brew, but cheap and consumed in great quantity. The Boar gets his water from the river, grows his own hops, but takes, in the most literal sense of the word, grain for malting from the vulnerable farming communities that surround the village. But make no mistake, dear traveller, Grindbone's main trade is slavery. Slaves are sold for everything you can think of. For labour, pleasure, sacrifice, demonification, and even food. And trade is thriving. The Slavers' Guild sends its gangs out into the forbidden lands to hunt down isolated travellers and lonely settlers, rounding them up into chain gangs of the desperate and terrified and herding them back to the village. Those that resist are kept alive and sent to go milling, a message that other slaves hear, literally, loud and clear. The others end up at the slave stables, lodging in filthy barracks if they're seen to be high value, or chained in holes or cages for those who won't fetch much of a price anyway. Regardless of their worth, the slaves are ruthlessly guarded by the bone ferrets and their demon-tainted swinehounds. Eventually, they are herded the short distance to the slave square, 
an old in-the-round theatre with seating built up the hillside. The raised ground in the middle of the stage holds three bloodied stakes, whose chains mournfully jangle in the wind. Unless, of course, the dying form of a recalcitrant slave is holding them firmly in place. It is here the slaves are lined up, and the auctions begin. Business is booming, and the Slavers' Guild is doing well. But it's not without competition. The Thieves' Guild also has a big stake in Grindbone, and don't let the slavers get away with much. Indeed, the master of the Thieves' Guild, Undar the Duke Alderman, is regarded as the de facto mayor of the village. But he's less of a mayor, more a criminal don or gang leader, and clearly has the interests of the Thieves' Guild at heart. Dear Traveller, the threat of violence is ever-present, and this place can hardly be called peaceful at the best of times. The slavers and thieves are in almost constant conflict, and the only thing that stands between them and total chaos is Captain Kratilos and his comrades. Kratilos may be Grindbone's bailiff, the law in this town, but he is not a good man. Why would he be living in Grindbone if he was? But he and his band of bailiffs keep some semblance of peace, and Kratilos is renowned as a deadly and ruthless warrior. The rival factions seem to respect what he's trying to do. Some people whisper that the leaders of the slavers and thieves are actually behind him and his band, giving the guilds room to have the odd skirmish, but having a reason to stop before all-out war breaks out in the town. The village has some little entertainment, with the Alder Home Tavern serving the Boar's Brew, and the Paraxa Theatre putting on farces and folksy theatre, seemingly incongruous in this terrible place. That said, Mahinova, the theatre's proprietor, holds the occasional deal to the death, as well as poetry readings and modern dance. And that, dear traveller, is more to Grindbone's taste. Sometimes they put on slave hunts, where two or three slaves are released and given a head start, then ruthlessly hunted down, the prize dangled before the poor souls being that of freedom and life, should they survive the chase. But one thing everyone looks forward to is the annual Grindbone Slavers Tournament, a series of gladiatorial bouts, fights to the death, that leave only one slave standing. The prize? Freedom, life, and a job with the bone ferrets if the winner wants it. The leader of the bone ferrets, Misela Aferomar, takes her position on the fancy awning at the slave square at dawn on tournament day, joined by the leader of the thieves, Undar Alderman. The first time Feromar ran the tournament, Alderman scoffed at the stupidity of the bone ferrets in running this tournament and flamboyantly chose not to attend. Killing and freeing perfectly saleable slaves what a waste of money! But the people of Grimebone flocked to the slave square. They loved every minute of it, and Ferramar's bookmakers made a killing. Ferramar herself was hailed as a true scion of Grindbone, and the bone ferret's clout in the town went sky high. Alderman saw his mistake, and never made that mistake again. Ferramar's reputation rose even higher when she was seen to graciously allow the thieves to join the tournament even though Alderman had once been so dismissive. 
But now the two of them oversee proceedings, calling forth the slaves to fight two against two, to the cheering of the crowd and the sound of gambled coin changing hands. And my dear traveller, the next tournament is about to begin. I hope you will be there. Well, that was great, Dave. Um, I've got a burning question, though, uh-huh. because as we mentioned earlier on, I'd, um, I'd had a quick leaf through Grindbone in case you went there in the adventure uh, when we were playing in Norfolk. How much of what you've just told us in this introduction is actually published in the book and how much has been made up? Um, most of it is actually in the book. All the characters are. The, the bone ferrets are. Um, all the locations are uh, part, of the, part of the book, part of the, uh, the stuff in there. I've expanded a little bit with just mm-hmm. throwing in my imagination around, around some of it. So, for example, um, well, actually, no, I mean, I haven't expanded very much. The whole to go milling thing is part of the book. Um, mm-hmm. So if you're, if you're going milling, then you're going to be tortured and murdered. Um, the beer, middling quality beer, cheap, um, consumed in great quantity, that's all out part of the book. I did take a, um, where they're talking about the boar, you know, gets his water from the river. You know, I kind of made that up. Grows his own hops, that came out of the book. But the book also says, takes grain for malting from from local farms. I added the the fact he takes it as kind of protection kind of thing. Yeah, he, he actually takes yeah, it. Yeah. So I added that because I thought that was a nice little kind of touch. Um, you know, maybe they're not taking those farmers as slaves because they need them to yeah. farm and stuff. But actually underlying all that is all that relationship is the threat that they'll just get taken by slaves at some point. Um, I added the bit about Cratullus, um, about him being a good man or not. They don't really talk about his motivation for doing what he's doing there in the book. So I added a little bit about, blimey, you know, he can't be a good man. Okay, he's a lawman here, but, you know, he's not going to be a good man because he's in Grindbone, for God's sake. He's keeping he's keeping the, the peace in a place where um, yes. people are being tortured and put into slavery. So, I mean, it's all a bit... He can't be a nice guy. I also added the little bit about actually maybe he's in on it completely and him and his yeah. bailiffs are just there as a kind of window dressing that gives the, the slaves and the thieves an excuse not to have a huge fight because Cratullus comes in and says, all right, guys, there's nothing to see here. Yeah, otherwise, um, and obviously putting aside the actual Grindbone Slavers tournament itself, there, everything else there is, is straight, from the, straight from the book. And you didn't find, though, in any of that, uh, the thing that we were looking for an answer to when we were playing. There's no price for a slave. I didn't see anything that gave any indication about price for a slave, no. I think that's kind of fascinating, uh, given that, you know, all the things that they do list for prices in the books. It strikes me that it may have been a conscious decision by the authors in that they didn't want everybody to turn into slave traders. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Particularly if the price... But it would be interesting. If the price was good, you just go, right, yeah, 10 gold for a slave, let's go and get one. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so uh, so may, may, maybe that's intentional, but I think it's an interesting question that maybe GMs who are planning to... Uh, have an adventure in Grindbone, need to think about what the economics is um, later on. Yeah. We, of course, have an ulterior motive for doing this research. Of course. Uh, this is going to be the site of the 
not quite adventure that we're going to be running at Dragon Meat. Um, we're uh, running the tournament that you mentioned. We are. Um, at the end. Uh, the idea is that uh, you have possibly newly arrived as a captured slave in Grindbone just in time for the tournament. And if you participate in the tournament, then you may win your freedom. <laughs> uh, and you do so by um, fighting two versus two uh, in the arena. We've uh, we've got a, a a series of rounds worked out so that we'll winnow down um, the teams until there are only two teams standing facing off against each other in the grand final. Um, and we're going to roll up your characters with us. We'll probably do that before the tournament. So. Come and see us throughout the morning if you want to join in. We'll put your name down for the tournament and we'll help you roll up a character. We'll record that as well so because we find that the character generation itself could be quite good fun. Um, what else do we want to say, Dave? So, yeah, I think this is all going to be done in the podcast zone, which uh, I'm assuming is going to be in the same place uh, as it was last year. So it's right at the entrance of the main gaming room not the i wouldn't make that assumption no? okay. i think there are rumors that modifius want to move us to somewhere else but uh, we'll, fair enough, we're fair still enough. Okay. waiting for confirmation for that well there will be um big signs up for podcasters in the podcast zone so come and find us um and we'll be wandering mm. around with coriolis effect t-shirts and badges and stuff on um so come and find us in the morning we will roll up your characters with you as matt said and that won't take very long take 10 10 or 15 minutes um, you need to be in teams of two, but if you're on your own, don't worry. We, I'm sure we can find a team of two to get you into. And then the afternoon, between two and four o'clock, we have the recording rig, which is going to be the the site of the Slavers tournament. And we will record through the fights, um, the quarterfinals, the semifinals, and then the final itself. So if you are lucky enough to win through, then you'll come back shortly afterwards to compete in the next round. So come and find us. Yeah, I guess, I guess the key thing is to say is you know we're going to be doing it from two to four. Um, we'll we'll give you a slot and tell you what time to turn up for your that, fight. That's correct. Yeah, you need to be prepared to stay until the end if you're a winner. Yep. Um, there aren't going to be many winners in this <laughs> game. There's going to be an awful lot of losers. But if you're a winner, uh, you'll you'll need to hang around till four um, to find out whether you are the winner and earn your freedom from Grindbone and yeah. maybe a prize from Free Elegan. Maybe. We are, we're still talking with Nils about getting some goodies that we can hopefully uh, put out there as yeah. in addition to your freedom and us allowing you out of the room. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah. uh, but I guess you will walk away with a character sheet and, um, and a Coriolis uh, Effect badge if you want one. And a Coriolis Effect badge. <laughs> Excellent. The well, our generosity knows no bounds. <laughs> uh, and, of course, uh, for those of you who didn't pick one up last year at Dragon Meat, we'll be giving away our Samar Saman um, adventure site yeah. as well for Coriolis. Uh, we've got copies of that to give away. So there's plenty of goodies at the at the podcast zone. Come and have a chat with us. Indeed. Looking forward to it. And is that the end of our podcast? I think that's the end of our podcast. Another hour and a half marathon, near enough. Um so brilliant. Excellent. Thank you, Matthew. Thanks, everyone, for listening. I really hope that you come along to Dragon Meat and come and see us. Uh, as I said, if you want to be in the tournament, 
come as early as you can make it and get your name down on the list. Um, but otherwise, I think that's um, goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. And how are we going to sign this one off? May your grindbone shiv dig deep. <laughs> that was a bit shit, wasn't it? Oh, well. <laughs> that was a bit shit. <laughs> Bye. Um, uh, may worm... Oh, sod it. <laughs> may the protector protect you, because you're going to need protection in Grindbone. Uh, or maybe just, may the icons bless your adventures. Yeah. Bye. Bye. You have been listening to The Coriolis Effect, presented by Fiction Suit with the RPG Gods, with music by Stars on a Black Sea, used with permission of Free League Publishing. Imagery from NASA and the Hubble Space Telescope, brought to you by Wikimedia Commons. Typeface is code by Font Fabric. <laughs>